I don't know if I'll preach and weep and cry a little bit and come back and preach a little more, but I can tell you the Lord has, has talked to me. Several days ago in prayer, the Lord laid these verses on my heart, and uh, I kind of figured Brother Eddie was going to ask me to, um, to preach tonight, uh, but didn't talk to him until later in the night last night, and as soon as we hung up the phone, the Lord led me back to these scriptures, and for the next several hours, just God was talking, and uh, amen, I just want to preach my heart to you tonight. Psalms chapter number 24. Begin a reading with verse number one. The Bible said that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I mean, aren't you thankful that this world is His? Hallelujah. It's not the Democrats, it's not the prince of this world, but amen, even in the midst of all the chaos that we see, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the Lord of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob, Salem. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. In verse number three, there is so much to preach here in the first part. I'm just going to have to stick to my notes. I don't want it to turn into another five-week series. But I'll just stay parked out here for a little while. But in verse number three, a question David asks. And he asks, who shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord? That's what I want to preach on tonight. And ask the question, who shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord. Would you stretch forth your hand this way and ask God's anointing. Father, I love you. God, I'm so thankful for your presence and I'm thankful for your spirit. I'm thankful for your word, oh God, you have preached to me. Oh God, I'm asking now for the unction, for the anointing, for the Holy Ghost to preach through me. God, I'm asking for you, Lord, to talk to hearts and talk to life, Lord. I I feel like you're raising the bar for Bible, hey God, how you've been moving the past several weeks. God, I pray that you would continue tonight to deal with our hearts, deal with our lives, to draw us closer unto yourself. Oh God, as we are nearing closer and closer to the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm asking that you would draw us near unto yourself, oh God, as always I profess. God, no talent, no abilities, no giftings outside of you, but I'm asking now that you would gift me. God, the ability to speak as the ambassador and the oracle of God. Father, we'll be careful to give you the glory, the honor, and the praise in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. I do have to, to say, I mean, I'm thankful for our pastor over the past several weeks who has just been 
uh, preaching the heart of God. And I, I feel like every service, as I've just been down in the floor myself, I can't pray for anybody else. Just praying for myself as the Lord's drawing me closer. And as I've been drawing closer unto Him, I, this message was born out of intimacy with Christ. And uh, I feel what God is doing in me, what God is doing in these altars, what God is doing uh, in the church, God is desiring to do in His body as a whole. And that is, He is desiring for us to draw closer unto Him. He desires for us to, to be near to Him. And I believe in these verses of Scripture, He is going to outline for us how we can draw closer unto Him. The occasion on which this psalm was written in Psalms chapter 24, uh, it, it, it does not say the exact uh, time or the exact purpose of the psalm that was written, but uh, in all likelihood, this coincides with the event to where David was leading the Ark of the Covenant back from Obed-Edom's house to its place in Jerusalem where David had uh, set up on the Mount of Zion a, a tabernacle for the presence of the Lord to abide in. For years, the presence of the Lord wandered in the wilderness. For years, uh, it, it had a place where it was established under Eli and his sons, but then uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant was lost, and for years, nobody even inquired of the Ark of the Lord. But David purposed in his heart to, to have a tabernacle, to have a resting place for the Spirit of God. And this, in all likelihood, was written as uh, a commemoration of that event. But there's a, a lot of uh, power in these verses that is applicable for us today. You see the setting, it, it brings these verses to life. David is asking as he is leading the Ark of the Covenant and leading the procession uh, of the Ark back to its rightful place on the Mount of Zion. He asked the question, he actually asked two questions. Number one, who shall ascend? Unto the hill of the Lord. Who was going to ascend to the holy place to worship Him? Who has a desire in their heart to go to, to climb this mountain into the presence of the Lord? And number two, he asked, who is going to stand in His presence? I mean, who was going to serve? Who was going to be an usher? Who's going to be a doorkeeper unto the house of the Lord? And he answers that question. That person must have clean hands and a pure heart. Amen. These verses, while it was true then, amen, it is still very true today. Amen. I want us to see first and foremost that it is the will of God for you and I to ascend into the lofty places of God's presence. Who shall ascend until the hill of the Lord? David was looking for men to ascend Mount Moriah or God's hill. Tonight, God Himself is looking for men of the same caliber. Amen. That will climb the mountain of God and ascend into His presence. Amen. There are many times in Scripture, amen, that we can look and we can see that God's presence came down. There are many times in scriptures to where his presence, whether it was a theophanic cloud or whether it was his glory coming down. And I, I don't know the exact mathematical formula or equation. I didn't have time to equate it all before we preached. I mean, but I would venture to say that it's as many times or if not more that you will also find of men 
The same way that God's presence came down upon men, that there were times where men went up to the presence of the Lord. I mean that men left their place of comfort and entered into the place of the Lord. John was such a man. In Revelation chapter 4 verse 1, when he looked and behold a door was opened into heaven and the first voice which I heard was as the sound of a trumpet talking with me which said, Come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Listen, John would have never received this revelation in fullness without ascending into the presence of God. He never would have received this revelation in fullness. There had to be an elevation of position. The same way that if you are to experience the full revelation of Christ and the full revelation of God, there must be a progression and an elevation in your walk. Listen, our view in life is often hindered by our position. It's often hindered by where we are. What I mean by that is this, is you can see a good sight down in the valley. You can see some, some great sights down in the valley, but you will only see in fullness after you ascend to the mountaintop. Amen. This is the view that God has in mind for us so many times. We are in the valley of life, and we're only getting a picture from our perspective when if we would be willing to climb the mountain, we could see things from God's perspective. And His view oftentimes is much different than what we see. Amen. Who is going to ascend into the hill of the Lord? Number one, you must realize that God is altogether higher than we are. He's on a whole another level. Isaiah 55. Amen. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. One writer says this, It is an uphill work for the creature to reach the Creator. Listen, as you embark on this journey with Him, day by day, it will be an upward progression. Amen. Day by day, the creature, amen, is going to ascend to reach the Creator. Listen, God is not going to lower His standard. God is not going to lower Himself or His being down to that of carnal man. If we expect to receive the fullness of God, we've got to leave where we are and ascend and climb unto the hill of His presence. Hallelujah. He's altogether higher than us. Therefore, number two, you must be willing to ascend His holy hill to receive the blessings from the Lord. Must be willing. A great example of this is Moses in Exodus chapter number three when he was content in the backside of the desert is what the Word of God says. Keeping his father's Jethro's flock of sheep. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even into Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked and he saw that the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush is not burnt? Moses was in a, a desert place, in a low place, but he looked and he saw the burning bush. I did some very brief studying on this last night at Mount Horeb. 
which is also Mount Sinai where he received the, uh, the Ten Commandments or the law of God. And right in the middle between the, the desert place where he was and the top of Mount Sinai where he received the Ten Commandments, there's the Greek monastery that is built there on the actual site to where history uh, tells us that Moses saw the burning bush. Now to get from the desert where Moses was to that particular spot of the burning bush on Mount Horeba, it was about a two-hour strenuous climb up the mountain. It was about a two-hour trek uh, straight up. Now there's a beaten path where many pilgrims and people have, have ventured and uh, uh, built stairs and bridges to where it's a whole lot easier now. Uh, but uh, it was a two-hour climb to get from the desert uh, to the place where history tells us the bush burnt uh, but was not consumed. Uh, many people had to see the fire. Uh, many people had to wonder. It was visible. Uh, it was up on a ledge. Uh, it was a, a place of, of high visibility. Many commoners uh, had to see the fire and wondered uh, and pondered in their heart the same thing Moses did. Why uh, is this singular bush? Uh, why is it on fire? Uh, but it's not consumed. Uh, it's not spreading. Uh, but constantly over and over, uh, hour after hour, this one bush uh, continues to burn. Uh, there had to be curiosity in their heart. Uh, there was just one problem. To find out the answer of why this bush burned... Uh, they had to climb a mountain. They had to ascend up uh, to its level. Uh, nobody else was willing to put in the work. Uh, even though their curiosity was piqued. Uh, even though uh, their mind raced and wondered. Uh, why? Uh, why is this phenomenon inside? Only one man uh, was willing to put in the work. Uh, number one, this was a personal climb for Moses. Uh, many had to see the fire. But only one man responded. Listen, uh, when God deals with your heart, church. Uh, it will be a personal climb. Uh, I mean, if you accept. Accept God's invitation to ascend until the heel of the Lord. It will be a personal call. Very seldom in the Word of God do you find that He uses a crowd. But almost 100% of the time, He calls a man out of the crowd to bid His work and to do His will. Listen, God didn't call Moses His family or His village. God called Moses the same way that God is calling out to you as an individual who shall ascend and to the hill of the Lord. It doesn't say what group. It doesn't say what church. It doesn't say what fellowship. It doesn't say what denomination. But who singularly shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord. This ascension will be a personal climb. Listen, all of the church has the invitation tonight. But I've lived in this thing long enough to know, Brother Eddie, not everybody is going to climb the mountain. Even though we have the same opportunity, even though we have the same uh, uh, invitation, uh, very few will ascend the hill of the Lord. Why? Uh, it's a personal climb. Uh, number two, it's a lonely climb. Nobody else walked with Moses. To the top of the mountain. No doubt in that two hour time. Uh, he missed his wife. Uh, he missed his kids. It would be a whole lot easier sitting. Uh, uh, beside mama with a glass of tea. Uh, and, uh, and just sitting in comfort. Uh, and in ease. Uh, but God had to get him to an isolated place. Uh, where it was just them for him to fully reveal his, his will. Uh, for his life. Uh, listen there will be times that you walk in isolation. Uh, not because God is mad at you. Not because you don't 
need fellowship with other believers. But other believers aren't going to go where God is calling you to go. Other individuals aren't going to have the same desire to do what God is calling you to do. Listen, there's going to be time where it's lonely. And it shouldn't always be that way, Brother Daniel, but it will be. Amen. Because God is calling you out from among the crowd. It's going to be personal. And at times, it's going to be an isolated walk. The crowd cannot accomplish God's will for your life. Only you can hear Him say, well done. It's going to be personal. It was an agonizing climb. The name Oreb in the Word of God means to dry up, to be in ruins, to lay waste. While Moses was walking up this mountain, God was saying, I know you're content being a shepherd. I know you've got a pretty good living. I know Jethro has a lot of influence and a lot of power, and you're the next man up. But I didn't call you to play with sheep, boy. I called you to deliver my sheep. I didn't call you to be a shepherd of bleating goats, but I called you to be a shepherd unto my children and lead them out, oh my God, out of captivity into my land of promise. Listen, and Moses' plans had to die. His dreams, his ambitions, his goal. Amen. All of that had to die as he was walking up the Mount of Horeb, ascending the will of God. Oh, but I can tell you, folks, this was a defining climb. When Moses endured, when Moses pushed past isolation, when he pushed past being lonely, when he pushed past the agony of what he was having to lay down, what he gained was so much more. No longer was he called Moses. Moses the shepherd boy but he was Moses the man of God that delivered four to six million people out of the clutches of Egypt which is a representation of sin in the world his life forever was defined because he was willing to ascend the hill of almighty God the defining moment in your life will occur when you leave your place of comfort and you're willing to climb oh you're willing to dig you're willing to crawl. You're willing to run. You're willing to do whatever you have to do to get into the presence of God. Defining. When God saw the heart of Moses, when the Lord saw that he turned aside and called, God called him out of the midst of the bush. Notice the, how this transpired. When the Lord saw he turned aside, then God called him out of the midst of the bush. Could God have called him out of the lazy boy in his tent in the desert? Absolutely. God can call anybody at any time. Don't put God in a box by saying you've got to go to Horeb tonight and climb the mountain from the desert to the same place to get up. Where Moses was, no. That's the way God called Moses. God may call you a different way altogether different. But I guarantee you 100% out of the time for you to reach the place that Moses reached, God is going to have to call you out of your comfort zone. God's going to have to call you out of your sense of complacency. Sometimes God wants to know how bad you really want it. 
Sometimes God wants to know, uh, is it just lip service uh, that you're saying the right buzzwords? Uh, that you're oh God help us, are you saying the right uh, religious lingo or is it really something that you mean uh, with all of your heart uh, and all of your mind uh, and all of your soul uh, and all of your strength? Listen, uh, He wants to know sometimes how bad you really want it. Uh, I believe sometimes the blessings of God uh, are put just out of the reach sometimes of man's hand. Uh, not being vindictive, uh, not not being mean, not being cruel, but he wants to know how bad do you really want it? Oh, is this something that you're going to pursue with all of your heart? Are you willing to climb a sycamore tree? Are you willing to climb a mountain? Are you willing to build a boat? Are you willing to go through the lion's den? Are you willing to go through the fire? Are you going to be just like the untold millions and then this dying tonight in obscurity? Because with lip service, they say they want the things of God, but there's no power in their words. There's no action behind it. It's just lip service. God wants to know tonight how much you really want Him. How much do you really want Him? Listen, the common lukewarm pew warmer won't make the climb because it cost Him His comfort. The worldly man is too enamored with the goings on of the world to be bothered climbing a mountain. The sinner man has no desire for the things of God. Uh, Moses, it'll be a lonely climb. Uh, at times you may be climbing alone, uh, but as lonely as it may be, uh, more of God's presence is always worth the climb. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. More of God is always worth the work. Listen, I can tell you, no matter how much effort you have to put in, no matter how long you have to pray, no matter how long it takes you to press into His presence, it's worth every amount of prayer. It's worth every bit of spit. It's worth every bit of sweat. It's worth all the blood, sweat, and tears. Amen. God is always worth the effort. For more of God's presence, you got to get your climbing shoes on. Amen. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Notice it does not say who's going to be in the valley when the Lord descends to shower down blessings on your life. But who's willing to put in the work to go to where He is? God help us. If you are to ascend the hill of the Lord, I believe there's a few things, four things in particular in Scripture that's outlined. You must do and you must become. Number one, if you're to ascend the hill of the Lord, you must practice pure conduct. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? He that hath clean hands. I like it when the Lord, or David here, but I believe the Lord's calling out to us. Ask a question. But then he gives us the answers. If you expect to ascend the hill of the Lord, I mean, you must have clean hands. I don't have time to preach all this. You could preach a message in itself on what it means to have clean hands. In scriptures, we can find at least five references of what this means. Number one, the hands are a symbol of work, meaning you work with your hands. In this sense, our hands must be faithful and thorough. One writer said, Among the evil omens in our time is a decay of honest pride in good work. 
There's a tendency to, to substitute cheap show for solid value. But every Christian should take on the daily task and ministry to man for God's sake. And he must have clean hands to do so. He must engage in business that cannot be regarded as that which is cheap, that which is unfair or that which is unruly. Amen. Your hands must be clean. Number two, the hand is the symbol of earning, paying, getting, and giving. If you're going to purchase something, you're going to take your hand and you're going to put it into your billfold or ladies, your purse, wherever your money is, and you're going to take out either a card, cash, a check, or something, and it is with your hands that you issue payment. You're not going to take a $20 bill and put it in your teeth and give the waitress at the restaurant. It's with your hands that you get it. If you receive payment for something, you're going to receive that with your hands. Somebody tries to pay me money by putting it in their teeth or putting it between their toes and handing it to me. Amen. I'm going to make sure that there's Lysol, hand sanitizer, or everything else. And then I'm going to refer them to a psychiatrist to find out what's going on. Listen, if you're going to do business, if you're going to give, or if you're going to receive, it involves your hands. And the Word of God says if you're going to ascend until the heel of the Lord, you've got to have clean hands. Meaning you've got to conduct good business. You've got to be a good man operating things the right way. But not only is it about, amen, what you receive. Amen. And people receiving good things from you. It's about giving unto the things of God. Amen. Giving in your tithe. Giving in your offering. Giving unto the things of God. Say amen to me, Somebody. Amen. You're not going to get by on this thing being cheap when it comes to the currency of God. Amen. You're going to have to be a giver. Amen. You're going to have to give God the things that are due His name. Don't try to skirt your way around the commandments of God. The Word of God says you're a thief and a robber if you try. Amen. To rob God in tithes and in offerings. Amen. But let your business in the physical, in the carnal, as well in the spirit be done with clean hands. The hand is the symbol of mutual faith and honor. We see this many times by the lifting up of hands. The hand is the symbol of power and conduct. Where is it that the disciples, two of the disciples longed to sit at the right hand of God? Or at the right hand of Christ. Where is it that we see Christ sitting and elevated when Stephen peered into heaven? He saw the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. The right hand symbolizes strength and power and ability. And the Word of God says, let your power be gained the right way. Not with deceit. Not with dishonor. Not by frivolous or, 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 or cunning ways of your own devices. Amen. But let your power Power uh, be gained and achieved with clean hands. Amen. There's so much to preach here. Clean hands signifies right conduct. It represents an outward life of action which must be unstained and righteous. No man's inward life can be right if his outward life is unclean and unjust. It took a few seconds, but thank God I got a couple of amens there. Hallelujah. 
You can't claim to be born again and your heart be right with God if your outward actions and your outward lifestyle preaches a different message. It speaks of outward practical holiness. To wash in water with Pilate means nothing. But to be washed by the water of the Word means absolutely everything. To be clean. Listen, if God has done a work and purified your inward man, it will be reflected in the outward man. Hallelujah. If God is going to work to clean up your heart, then He's going to clean up what everybody else can see. Amen. If you, if you go to a restaurant right now, go down the road to Jesse's, you'll throw a $100 bill down on the table for, for supper. But those servers and waitresses and waiters, if you were to, if you were to go into the, the kitchen and look at the cooks, and they had mud all on their hands, and they had blood and they had cuts. It don't matter how good the food is. I ain't going to want it. If, if, if that man is, if, if there's a homeless hobo that hadn't took a bath in three weeks. Standing in front of the skillet getting ready to cook. I'm going somewhere else. How much more in the service of God should we, His servers, should we, His servants, be clean and purified? If I won't eat a carnal meal, man, that's been presented by someone with unclean hands, why in the name of God would I want to partake of spiritual food given to me by someone that's not living a clean and pure lifestyle? And holy before Almighty God. Uh, listen, God always has put a premium uh, on good, holy living. Uh, and God always will put a premium uh, on good, holy living. Listen, I don't care uh, how good he or she preaches. Uh, if they live like a devil outside. Uh, amen. I'm not going to be charmed by the cunning words. Uh, amen. I don't care uh, how heavenly they speak in a pulpit. Uh, if they live like hell out there. Uh, amen. And have an unclean life. Uh, I don't wouldn't give you two plug nickels for what they have to say. Listen, God always has put a premium on good holy living and God always will. If you're going to sin into the hill of the Lord, you must have clean hands. Secondly, He carries it even to a higher level. If you're going to sin to the hill of the Lord, you must possess a pure heart. Amen. A clean hand has no power without a pure heart. You can't have one without the other. Listen, you can try to put lipstick on a pig and give him a bath every night, but sooner or later the nature of that pig is going to win out. Amen. You can try doctoring up that pig, put her in a tutu, put makeup on her, polish her hooves. Amen. But all you're doing is delaying the inevitable. That nature is going to win out. And no matter what you do on the inside, that inward, amen, nature of that thing has to change if you're going to keep it clean. If the practice 
practice is the same. You can try to doctor up this flesh. You can try to doctor up on this outside. You can try to make yourself look good and right. But if your heart is not pure, then that fake religion will stink to the high heavens. God puts a premium on the outward living. Yes, but it only comes after you get the heart right. Amen. After the inside lines up with the Word of God, you cannot have power without a pure heart the same way you cannot possess power without it showing up in your clean hands. True religion is a heart work. We may wash the outside of the cup and the platter as long as we please, but if the inward part be filthy, we're all together filthy in the sight of God. You can put Don dish, uh, dish detergent, Ajax, uh, enjoy anything else you want to uh, on the outside of that cup. You can polish it. Uh, you can wax it. Uh, that thing, you can look, uh, amen, and see your reflection in that thing and how shiny it is. Uh, but if on the inside of that cup uh, is full of dirt, uh, if it's full of grime, if it's full of mold and mildew, uh, it don't matter how the outside looks. Uh, it's rotten. Uh, it's polluted. Uh, amen. It'll make you sick uh, because of what's on the inside. Uh, oh, hallelujah. Amen. It starts uh, with the inward man uh, and the inward parts. Uh, don't waste time cleaning up the outside. Uh, if your heart is not right, uh, get that heart right. Uh, you must have a clean hands. Yes, uh, but it begins with a pure heart. There must be a work of grace in care of the heart as well in the palm of the hands or our religion is mere delusion. The Word of God says in Matthew 5 and 8, Blessed! are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If you want to see Him and you expect Him to say, well done, you can't go with a divided heart. You can't go with a heart that's full of sin. It starts with the purity of the heart. How do I get a pure heart? Read 1 Peter 1 and 22. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and the unfeigned love to the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. How do I get a pure heart? The answer is found in the very next verse. Being born again. Not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God which liveth and abideth forever. If you're going to ascend uh, until the hill of the Lord, uh, don't bother taking the first step uh, unless you go by the altar and say, God, give me your heart. God, give me your heart. Uh, let my heart be right. Uh, let my motives be right. Uh, the Bible says that the heart uh, is deceitfully wicked. Uh, and who can know it? Uh, amen. You can have uh, a slick preacher that says all the right things. Uh, that does all the right actions. Uh, that says all the right words. Uh, and he's doing it for the wrong motives and the wrong reasons. Uh, it's a stench in the nostrils of God. Uh, you can have the best worker in the church. Uh, but if they're doing it for their own recognition. Uh, and their own pride. Uh, and their own gain down here uh, then it's going to be refused by God out there uh, God not only judges your actions uh, but he also looks uh, at your motives man can only see what you're doing God sees why you're doing it 
having a pure heart. Singing and worshiping God, not for the money contract, but because you love Him. Preaching the message is not so you can be seen, but because He can be seen. Having the right motives because of a pure heart. Next, not only should you have a clean hands, which is producing good character, not only should you have purity in your heart, you must possess a pure spirit. In this thing, we see the hands, we see the heart, and we see the spirit. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart and hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity. That word vanity is a powerful word. You can try to label vanity as what give me something that defines vanity. Well, the wisest man in the world was not even able to label to lower it down to just one thing. The whole book of Ecclesiastes is full of things that are vanity and vexations of spirit is what he says. Vanity. I mean, I believe a definition of vanity can be summed up as this. Anything in us that has not been birthed by the Spirit of God yeah. is vanity. Yeah. In the final analysis of life, anything birthed in here that did not come from up there is flesh and is vanity. Does not mean that it's sin. Does not mean that it's wickedness. Does not mean that it will keep you out of heaven. I'm not trying to label fleshly things sin that the Word of God and the Spirit of God has not convicted us about. Uh, amen. But you can have a lot of vanity in your life uh, that isn't necessary sin. A few amens right there. There ain't nothing wrong with watching a good clean hunting show. There's nothing wrong with watching somebody fish. But if that separates you from God, that's vanity. If that begins to take precedent over your life, that's vanity. And Solomon summed it up. He said, vanity of all vanity, said the preacher. All is vanity. Everything in this life that is not God is unprofitable. It profits me nothing. When you stand before God, amen, you could go for Him with a great 401k account. That's vanity. It profits you nothing. You can go with a great title behind your name and a six or eight year education. Amen. But if it don't enable Him to look at you and say, well done. Solomon says it's vanity of all vanities. If you want to get down to the crust of the matter, the only thing Solomon says that wasn't vanity. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Everything that you are and everything that you can become, amen, is wrapped up in pleasing Him. It's wrapped up in things that are birthed of birth above. And God says if you're going to ascend my hill, your soul must not be lifted up unto vanity. When writer said this, the soul must be delivered from delighting in the graveling toys of earth. The man who was born from heaven hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity. Like Moses, he had to lay everything down, climbing that Mount of Horeb. 
there's going to be a point in time in our life where God is going to ask us, are we willing to lay it all down? Are we willing to lay it all down for His will to be fulfilled in our lives? That's a heavy question, Brother Joey. A lot of people say with their lips, yes, I'm willing to lay it all down. But their actions tell the whole story. Their actions preach another gospel. Amen. We must lay aside everything of flesh and carnality and walk in the virtue of the Spirit. Not only must you possess a pure spirit, if you are to ascend the hill of the Lord, you must possess a pure character. A pure character. Who shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord? He that hath clean hands, a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. To swear deceitfully means to make statements or oaths that are incorrect and untrue. It also means to present yourself to be something that you're not. It means to elevate yourself in pride and in character. Oh, but to be not reaching the level that you profess. Listen, your word is your bond. Let your yeas be yea and your nays be nay. Swear not on things above or below is what the word of God says. Swear not. Don't make an oath that you can't back up. There's one thing that will turn you off from ever witnessing or reaching a man is for him to find out you're a liar. There's many things that will turn people off from ever caring one thing about what you have to say. But at the top of that list is a man that lies. A man that lies when your character becomes flawed. You can spend the rest of your life talking about how good and great God is. But if your character has been marred and you have been identified and labeled as a liar, if you lied once, what else are you lying about? But if you expect to ascend until the heel of the Lord, you must possess a pure character. I don't have time. There's so much there to preach. But we can see the four things. If you're willing to climb, you must practice pure conduct. You must possess a pure heart, a pure spirit, and a pure character. And this is what tore me up last night. And I've never seen this. I've read these verses of Scripture many times before. But in Psalms 24, verse 5, I'll read it in totality. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands, a pure heart, and not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. Verse 5. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord. Notice the words here. Notice the terminology that's used. It does not say that the man who ascends shall receive blessings. It says the man who ascends the hill shall receive the blessing. 
I began pondering on that, Brother Eddie. What is the blessing? What is the blessing? As the Lord began to break me, Brother Eddie, it was like the Lord spoke to me. Number one, we can see that the blessing of the Lord is Him. The blessing of the Lord is the Lord Himself. He that ascends unto the hill of the Lord shall receive the blessing from the Lord. I began to be so convicted because so many times, Brother Eddie, we're willing to climb over blessings. We're willing to climb over things that God can give us and things that God can do. But it's like God's pricked my heart, Brother Eddie, in these scriptures and asked the question, am I not enough? Am I not enough? If you're willing to climb, I'm going to give you of myself. I'm going to give you me. Is there any other blessing that is greater than that? I, I can tell you no. And I, I began to weep and cry because so many times in my life, there was times that I, was, I would have been willing to climb to the top of Mount Everest for a pulpit to preach at. Thinking as a young preacher that I had to preach this meeting. Amen. I, the, the big thing for me was, man, if I could just preach at Forts Lake Youth Camp. Amen. All the big name preachers in our fellowship preached there, Brother Stephen. If I could just preach there, man, that would be the pinnacle uh, in life. Uh, amen. Uh, so eventually, I got to preach uh, at Fort Lake Youth Camp. Preached the morning service one year at camp. Uh, all, all of the things uh, that I had hoped for. Uh, yes, I felt the anointing. Uh, yes, I felt God. Uh, amen. But when I, I, I quit preaching, uh, guess what? Uh, there's still life to live. Uh, there's still things to go for. Uh, amen. There's still uh, life to live. That was not the pinnacle. Uh, amen. There were times where I sought after ministry. Uh, Amen. But ministry without God is death, folk. Amen. Ministry without Him is nothing. Ministry can become vanity without God. You can fill yourself up with so many things of what you think ministry is. Listen, ministry flows out of life. If you don't have intimacy with Christ, then you have no ministry. I don't care how many pulpits you preach in, how many places you go, how many lessons you teach, how many songs that you sing. If you don't have Him, if you don't have the blessing, all you have are engagements. Amen. All you have are appointments at a pulpit. Amen. You don't have ministry. Ministry is birthed out of intimacy with the blessing. Many people would be, oh, God help me tonight. Many people would climb Mount Everest to get their healing in their body. But they're not willing to roll out of bed and come to church. I'm not talking about those that are so physically weak they can't. But I'm talking about those that the desire is not there. You tell them you climb to the highest mountain peak in the world uh, and you'll find a vaccine for COVID, uh, amen, or cancer, or whatever it may be. Uh, millions would try to climb up the mountain tonight to receive it, uh, amen. But there's some, uh, if you'll say the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is a Bible way, uh, he's come with healing in his wings, uh, amen. They're content uh, watching a ball game uh, on Wednesday night. Uh, oh, hallelujah. I don't want that. Uh, I don't want ministry. Uh, I don't want blessing. Uh, I don't 
want blessings. I want the blessing. I want him. Oh, hallelujah. If we're willing to climb and ascend unto the hill of the Lord, God has promised us he will give us the blessing. He will give us himself. Listen, anointing is a blessing. But I'm not after the anointing itself. I'm after him. When I receive him, the anointing will take care of himself. I'm not after ministry tonight. If I've got him, ministry flows out of life. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. I'm not after healing tonight. I'm after the blessing. I'm after him. And when I have him, I have everything that I need. God asking me the question, am I not enough? I was thinking, what is the blessing? What is the thing? Many people are seeking after byproducts of the blessing. That they miss out on the blessing themselves. They miss out on Him. They miss out on the greatest blessing in the world. Him. Him. Listen. Since I left here Sunday night, I got up Monday, went to the office, had a meeting first thing Monday morning. I say first thing, 10 o'clock. As soon as I walked in the door, closed the door to my office and sat down. Brother Eddie, I just began to weep and cry. It rolled on to where the meeting's about to start and I know I look like an ugly mess. I couldn't quit crying. I was broken. All throughout the day Monday, just broken. Not over anything that, that had happened. But just what God has been doing in these altars, what God has been doing in me. Listen, if, you, if, if, if you're not leaving these altars changed with how God has been talking... You need to do spiritual inventory. Is there something in your life that's preventing God from being able to deal with your heart? Yesterday, just weeping. Last night, I talked to Brother Eddie about 10.30. The Lord laid, had already dealt with me about these scriptures, but as he began to talk, just was broken. Going to work. Weeping, crying down the road. I hadn't been able to really stop crying. Just in his presence. You could give me a million dollars for being in his presence. Because in his presence, there's fullness of joy. At his right hand, there's pleasures forevermore. In his presence, there's fullness. Meaning if you're empty, climb the hill tonight and get into His presence. If you're lacking something in your life, ascend the hill of the Lord tonight and get in His presence, you'll find fullness. You can't find fullness in this world. You can't find fullness in anything or in anybody else. But you'll only find fullness in Him. There's this song that I've been listening to and I've heard it probably hundred times. As a matter of fact, I asked Kirsten to sing it tonight in the altars. 
But here in the past two days, I just the, the lyrics of the song has just resonated right with where I am. The song says, I'm caught up in your presence. I just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment. I never want to leave. He said, I'm not here for blessings. Jesus, you don't owe me anything more than anything that you can do. I just want you. I just want you. Listen, somebody that says that wholeheartedly, that's a man that's willing to ascend into the hill of the Lord. Them, those that are willing to ascend into the hills of the Lord. Those that are willing to climb. Lord, lay my life down. Nothing else matters in this life but you. Nobody else matters in this life but you. As a matter of fact, before I could even hit this pulpit and preach this message, the Lord dealt with my heart to pick up the phone and call somebody and make something right. I don't want anything frivolous keeping me from ascending the hill of the Lord. Nothing of no eternal value. Amen. Who is willing to ascend into the hill of the Lord? I believe is the question for the hour for the church tonight. Is anybody willing to ascend? Is anybody willing to leave the place of comfort to ascend into the heights of His lofty presence? It may be difficult at times. There's going to be things that vie for your attention and your affection. But if He's your number one priority and He's your number one desire in life, I promise you the blessing of the Lord. He Himself is always worth the climb. Listen, when I was dating and in love with cursing out a climb or crawled to California to just be around her. You mean you can say amen to me? Whatever it took. Listen, it should be the same exact thing. The same exact philosophy in your mind when it comes to the things of God. Nothing will keep me from His presence. Nothing will separate me. Those that are willing to ascend the hill of the Lord shall receive the blessing from the Lord. I don't have time. I'm done. I wanted to close with the last two verses, verses 7 and 8. Talking about those gates and those everlasting doors. The picture there that it represents is powerful in itself, but I'm done. I want to ask the question, who's willing to ascend tonight? We've talked about revival. We've preached about revival. We've preached about the presence of God. But are we really willing to go to the next level in Christ? Are we really willing to climb the hill of the Lord? It's burdened me because I've watched our pastor the past weeks pour his heart out, knees on the floor, crying out, begging God for His presence and His Spirit. 
Brother Eddie, we're going to get there. We're going to ascend into the hill of the Lord. And when we get there, we're going to receive the blessing of the Lord. How long is it going to take? I don't know. I don't know how long it's going to, to, it's going to take us, Brother Stephen. I just know tonight I'm willing to take the first steps. I just know this week God's renewed a desire and a zeal in my heart for the presence and the purpose of God. Amen. Whatever God's got to do in me, whatever God's got to do to us, amen, to receive the blessing from the Lord. Amen. Whether it's sin he's got to remove, whether it's vanity he's got to deal with, whether it's a comfort zone or complacency, God, wreck it all. Amen. We want the presence of God. We want the presence. We want the power of God. The proverb says, not a biblical proverb, but a journey, I believe Chinese proverb, a journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. I know that this is being direct, but this is the way that I feel it in my heart. If the presence of God doesn't move you and you're not desired and you don't have that desire to ascend the hill of the Lord, don't take the step. But tonight, if that's your purpose and that's your desire and you truly mean it with all of your heart, take the step. Take the one step. Put one foot in front of the other. Then the next, then the next. The journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. And I believe when you get in this altar, God's going to meet us here. And the journey, the ascent begins tonight. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. It begins tonight. God's doing something. God's blessing us. Those that are hungry, meet me in these altars.